Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Hmm? Ah! Huh. Hey, everybody. I'm Rima. And I'm Pate. And this is Strange Indeed, a podcast dedicated to the Netflix show, The Fall of the House of Usher. This week, we are covering episode seven, titled The Pit and the Pendulum. Oh, man. Ultimate episode. (laughs) Penultimate pit and pendulum. Hmm. Uh, (laughs) And not only that, but just a quick shout out that it is our 300th episode for Strange Indeed. That's. That's awesome. But I haven't been here for all 300. You have, though, so that's an incredible feat. But I've been here for a while myself. But yeah. Yeah. So it's, that's I, yay strange indeed. <laughs> yay. Yeah. And yeah, I have been and I'm tired. No, <laughs> you, you have been here for a lot of them. Of course, you know, if, if people have been listening to us for a while, they'll know this started with Sean. Uh, and then um, then you came on board and have been here for at least half or more. I could probably go back and count and, and figure that up. Honestly, I don't know. But I'm so happy that you're here with me for the 300th yes. episode. And yeah, thank you to everyone who's been with us. Uh, for the 300th this is Absolutely. amazing i didn't ever see getting here so <laughs> feels feels pretty amazing yeah. uh so yeah thank you to everyone thank you Pake, and thank you sean for being with me in the beginning um so the pit and the pendulum what a hell of an episode i just i i can barely get the words out it's just i thought it was great Pake, do you have some like general thoughts yeah, uh, I really like this one. Uh, there's a lot. It's interesting because each one has seemed focused very solely on like one story. And this one definitely had, I mean, it was the Frederick episode. But also there was a lot other stuff going on where there's other like the flashbacks and the stuff going on with Madeline and Roderick, Berna and all those storylines that have kind of been like puttering around in the background got a lot more focus in this one too it seemed to like really vary and bounce around different stuff like we're clearly getting like everything crossing paths and getting ready to wrap up in the finale so i'm definitely excited for that (laughs) me too yeah there was this was the frederick centric episode however like you said so many other things that have that we've gotten the little pieces to we got more of this week uh really driving the plot well and thank goodness too, driving things forward because we literally just have the finale now so i'm (laughs) like come on you know i'm let's get some of those answers i have just been you know since the beginning uh so unsettled trying to figure out what what happens next and i'll be honest i'm completely clueless i know we have some nuggets in this episode i'm clueless i don't know what the frig is gonna happen next so i'm really yeah. excited to get get some of those answers but i'm um 
you know, we'll focus on this episode uh, and not get too far ahead of ourselves. So uh, you mentioned you had, before we started recording, a lot of uh, points tonight. So go ahead and kick us off. Yeah, I'm going to push some of them to more other notes because I could go on and on. It'd be like, I've got like six main points and it's going to be me talking about everything tonight. So <laughs> whittled it down. That's, that's to okay. Because <laughs> I, I talk way too much a lot of times. So go for it. No. Uh, yeah, so stick to kind of four main points, but then I've got backups and I'll have lots of extra notes, so it'll be fun. Um, but yeah, the first one, I think I kind of coined this term last week and I liked it, but uh, these scenes I'm referring to as the confession session between <laughs> Roderick and, and August Dupin. Uh, <laughs> I like it. And so again, there's some really good juicy stuff in there, so I just wanted to talk about the things that we got in those scenes together. Uh I'll talk about the flashback stuff separately, but through stuff that we saw in there, I like that August tells Roderick that he says the reason that he trusted Roddy back in the day before, you know, he did what he did to him is he said he trusted him because Annabelle did and she was pure good. She was a pure soul and, you know, that because Annabelle loved him and trusted him that he saw no reason not to and boy, did that bite him in the ass. But, uh, mm hmm. I like when he says that and it gets Roderick off on this, you know, Annabelle Lee poem again that <laughs> in this universe he wrote. But there's that, that other half of it because it was the very romantic side that we saw in an earlier episode. But those who know that poem is he's going to like this grave of his love and he's recounting the death of his love. And it might be an actual literal death. We still don't know exactly what happened to Annabelle, but we know at least the death of their love, the death of their marriage was something that was right around the corner. And so that kind of further part of that poem is where Roderick picks up, saying, And this was the reason that long ago in this kingdom by the sea, a wind blew out of a cloud, chilling my beautiful Annabelle Lee. And I loved August's response. He says, you're the fucking wind, Shakespeare. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're the chilling wind that blew her away. You're the, you're the reason it died. It's your fault. Um, which, man, August had some, like, punches today in this episode i loved uh but then he goes on to say you know annabelle lee was the only good usher so they used to say there's no such thing as a good usher but but she was the exception to that she was the only good one and then roderick refutes that by saying what most of our listeners have said uh which is wrong my granddaughter lenore the best of us and so much like her grandmother too all the best of annabelle lee without the without the broken heart which, I don't know, we'll see about the broken heart stuff after this episode and what happens to Lenore here, but um, definitely, I, I liked that he pointed out, like, no, Lenore is also a very pure soul and, and good usher. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have brought out, and yeah, I have so many quotes. So my, This episode had so much stuff that, like, my notes are full of, like, exact quotes where I'm having to, like, pause and write things down, because the dialogue is just incredible this week. <laughs> As always, extreme, very, mm -hmm. very incredible. I 100% agree with that statement. The really fantastic writing. Yeah, uh, try to go a little quicker uh, through these, but yeah, uh, again, the noises from the basement. We get that. And Oy. August, mm -hmm. August speaking for us all again by saying, like, look, I've got to tell you, those noises are starting to really bother me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. He said, you say that's Madeline down there. And I'm like, Thank you. Thank you. We've all, since the first episode, been sitting here going, oh my god. Uh, what is happening? And Roderick doesn't make us feel any better about it when then 
his way of getting August to turn back around and not leave. He goes, you'll have me on murder. That's where we're going. You'll have me dead to rights on murder. More than one, actually. And I'm like, oh, that could mean so many things. It adds to the Madeline question, especially after what she did in this episode. You're like, no kidding. What, what did he do to her? Is she even alive? What about, you know, it, how is anyone right now? It could be so right many now? things. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm interpreting that to mean so many different things. That right. I, I gotta know. Yeah. I hear you. Uh, and then his phone going off in that moment, too. And then he's, oh, and let me guess. That's Lenore. Bingo. And it's like, that's also starting to bother me. Like, is she okay? She better be okay. I, <laughs> Man. Just a lot of these little things that I'm, I'm sure we will get wrapped up in the finale. But, like, they just keep reminding us of all these little lingering questions that are just, like, eating away at us. Uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, August almost got up and left. He almost got out of there because he was just tired of this long drawn out seemingly insane story that Roderick is telling without this clear point in view he's just like okay you're you're getting something out of this you're pulling my chain you're trying to scare me whatever you're getting out of this from just like wasting my time i'm i'm done with it and i again with those cut punches that he's got he says good night roderick and good luck with the dementia it's like damn that is cold <laughs> um <laughs> he is out of sympathy at this yeah. point for sure yeah uh, and then lastly, of course, we always get the ghost uh, moments in these scenes. And I liked the twist on it this time, where it wasn't a huge, big jump scare. It was the pendulum and the clock starting up, you know, a little sign from Freddy. And then in, instead of appearing as some mangled, bloody, gory specter or whatever, we get tiny little Freddy with his mama, Annabelle. You know, it seems like a sweet memory. Of a loving little family, long gone. You know, as not as Roderick says, oh, any minute now, Freddie's going to be peeking out from behind the chair to show off his C-section scar. Which <laughs> no, it's freaking morbid. Uh, and and we're expecting the same when you right. look at all the other episodes and what's happened each time he's talking to Depend and what's happened to his children. Yeah. you know, one by one, that's. Like, what we're expecting, he's saying exactly what we're all expecting to happen. And yeah, yeah. a twist when we didn't get that. Right. Instead, it's it's the, the little little Freddy with Annabelle. And then that seems like, oh, it's, it's a you know much nicer kind of moment for him until that definitely goes south in the fashion of sheer terror and horror as his little boy torn in half right in his arms. And you're like, yeah, no, there's what we were waiting on. Um, <laughs> that was dark. Yeah, that was dark, you know, to have the image of his child, Mm -hmm. Uh, which I mean, that's his firstborn. That's his, Mm -hmm. you know, pride and joy. That is his, you know, you know, the the one that's supposed to carry on everything, the legacy, the family, the heir apparent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so in that, I like how that ties right into that, you know, bittersweet moment of that vision which i think he knew exactly when he says we're here to support daddy on his big day i feel like roderick knew exactly where this was coming from and what was going on mentally what he's trying to you know whatever is happening to him what that's trying to convey because yeah that was his you know wife and children supporting him on his big day the day that he chose the path of selfishness and ruthlessness to become the heartless evil man that he is today Mm -hmm. uh that really was the day that set that emotion but we will talk about that more later i'm sure uh (laughs) but yeah so just last thing on that is the line that he has about his ghosts the ghosts of his children that have been appearing throughout all these 
episodes, I just, again, quotes. There's so many quotes. <laughs> They've been at me all night, making sure I get their stories right. Which is, it's fantastic, as my personal hell is being micromanaged. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so many great lines. So many. Yeah. So, yeah, so I just wanted to point out those scenes and talk about those, because they've been the through line. I mean, there's been a lot of through lines throughout this whole show. That was definitely kind of where the story really started, is this Roderick retelling the events to, to August in this confession. And there's been some really good stuff all through this series in those scenes. Still going to point them out again, because they're always important. Like They are always important. Uh and what I found interesting was, and we've guessed a few times whether or not Dupin could actually hear anything or see anything and come to find out that, no, he hasn't seen or witnessed anything that Roderick is seeing or hearing, except for the noises in the basement. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, it's all just been uh, from Roderick's viewpoint only, with the exception of the clock. Yeah. So I found that interesting. I don't mm-hmm. I don't know that it means anything or not, or if after all this time now it's starting to kind of break through enough, whatever these whatever it is that's coming through to Roderick, it's finally come through enough for Depend to hear it too. I found that part interesting because I'm like, yeah. oh, he can hear the clock too, and he's pretty freaked out about it. Um, now he couldn't see Annabelle or the image of young Freddie there. Um, and then what I also found interesting was Roderick's comment about, you know, seeing the, the, his children who are dead. So we're going to say, I guess for the sake of argument, ghosts mm-hmm. that keep popping up and making sure that he's telling their story straight. But he says, he makes a point to say, you know, this castle, it's, it's, it's hell, but this ain't it. Like what these like visions are not attributed to my diagnosis. Cause I think we've talked about that. Like, well, is he really seeing these things? I mean, and I don't know that. And I, and I don't know that him saying that proves it one way or another, but I just found it interesting that he's saying the distinction. And he's like, yeah, I I have all of these issues because of my diagnosis. I can have hallucinations or see or hear things, but this is not the same thing. So yeah. I, I, I find that interesting that we're, we're, we're kind of hearing him say that out loud now. Uh, whether or not it's true, I don't know. But at least it's like being acknowledged. Yeah, in that moment. throughout all these like him telling the story. So we're kind of seeing in that sort of flashback as we're watching the deaths of all the children happen. This all in the aftermath of all that, he keeps telling Madeline, it's because of the cat itself. I'm having hallucinations. None of this is real. There's no, you know, there's no curse that we're under. You know, this, I'm not seeing these things or that thing. It's it's this. So for him to be kind of singing a different tune here with August saying, no, this is not the, the diagnosis. This isn't dementia. This is something. This is my reckoning. Said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Okay, that was really great. So you mentioned the flashback. That is my first point, (laughs) is what turned Roderick? And I've been questioning it off and on as we've been covering the series. And I kept saying, where and what happens for Roderick to turn into this, who seems to be a kind, caring, compassionate person? And 
I think Depend has a bit of a point. Like, how could someone like Annabelle Lee, like, love you, trust you, and all of that if there wasn't something within you, right? So I feel like there had to be a part of him there. So what the hell you know, happened to this kind, compassionate, loving father, husband, who at least what were shown anyway, to then turn out to be the Roderick that we saw present day, who is absolutely terrible. I I can't even think of other words to describe him. There's so many, but that's all that's coming to me at the moment. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's, he's, he's pretty accurate, I think, as to what Juno called him is a monster. Uh. And I think with the exception of some of the parts where we've seen him interact with Depen, where he's finally getting that reckoning, where he seems to like, like, wow, I, I screwed up. We finally get to see that and, and what happened. I think there's more to see uh, that hopefully we'll get in the next episode, but it, we get to see the sin he committed that I think started this turn. And I, I didn't see it coming. I, I don't know if it was as plain as day to everyone else or if it was just missed entirely by me, but I totally didn't see this coming. When Dupin had talked about losing his job in, what was it, the last episode when they were talking about Pim, it still was not a clue that this is what was going to go, that this is what was going to happen, that this whole deposition that they're practicing for, that it wasn't going to happen the way that they were planning it out, like this whole time. Madeline and Roderick have been like she's been whispered. I know it was all her. This has oh, Madeline yeah. all over it. I mean, we've seen throughout the whole season how Madeline keeps whispering, you know, to Roderick and telling him this is what you should be doing. I mean, this has has her footprint all over it. And I didn't see it coming. Did did you know that no. this was OK? Then it was, it was a good twist. Yeah, it was a really good. <laughs> okay. twist. Like You know, something happened. And they kind of, on second watch, again, today to a note, you kind of see Dupin, like, reference it, because, you know, he's he's talking to, to Roderick there, just, like, again, mentioning those, like, and then after I lost everything after what you did, they're kind of talking about it. It's like, what what happened? And then it kind of makes sense once you see, you're like, oh, that's that's exactly what it is. It was all this kind of long con on, on Dupin, even, that, I don't know, I feel like yeah, definitely orchestrated by Madeline. That is her scheming. That is her style. But then a part of me also wonders, like, maybe this whole team player speech from Gris that we saw even earlier on, maybe that really did stick. Maybe there was this selfish, entrepreneurial kind of, like, shark mentality within Roderick that really took that to heart. and Maybe. maybe. And stuck with that as well, yeah. Well, I'm really curious to see if we'll get that interaction or whatever it was that cemented Roderick's decision in betraying Depen during this deposition. You know, is did that have something to do with it? And you're right, it could. Uh, when they're talking like, hey, Roderick's going to get fired and he's going to lose his job. You know, and Annabelle's pleading with Depend, like, will you have our back when this is over? Because he's going to get fired. And I mean, they're already struggling financially and they have two young children. And she's very worried about, you know, their future and being able to care for their family. And he's like, you know, yeah, I'll I'll help you. Um, So clearly, if something happened to them in that way, 
what would they do, right? So was was the threat of, you know, not being able to support his family, the threat of him getting fired, but also like Madeline was telling uh, Annabelle, like, they'll sue you into the ground. Yeah. You know, you'll have absolutely nothing. Um, was that it? Was it also Madeline whispering in his ear? You know, that this is how it's all going to go. You know, she says later in, in the episode, and I know we'll get there, but, you know, she's like, I've played out every scenario and I, you know, and, and this is the only outcome. I think she was doing the same thing here in this flashback mm-hmm. as she is playing out every scenario that if you don't do this, this is exactly how it's going to play out. This is the only way forward. This is the only way for us to win. Um, but I, I think that in the beginning, at least in these flashbacks, she was more power hungry than what he was. I think yeah. he, he I think he wanted to be because Madeline was and he thought he should be that way too. Now I think he got there eventually, maybe through Madeline and throughout the years, but I think in the beginning of these flashbacks, she was the one that was more hardened, um, more power hungry and was, you know, using Roderick to kind of get there. Yeah. In that way, she um, is very much the textbook definition calculus. Very much, yeah, very much. But I, I liked, I liked seeing all that. I'm glad we got a, a bit of a reveal. I'm glad we got some insight to that. I hope we learn a little bit more about how it came into play, and then, of course, the outcome of that. I, there's a lot I think that's going to happen next. But it, it was definitely, I think, a big starting point of where we get started with this whole thing and this whole story and how we got to where we are in present day. So yeah. really good stuff. Right. I want to point out like some just really great acting choices on there. First, Zach Guilford. Uh, again, it's, it's great with the story, but then you see like when the episode first starts, is they're rehearsing, you know, this like role as witness. And he seems, uh, Roderick does like young Roderick seems very stressed and like, Oh, it's so much for me. And you think, oh, he's about to lose his job because he's doing the right thing for other people. And it's like, no, it's actually because he's has been building some of somewhat of a bond with Dupin, even, you know, where Dupin kind of comes out to him as, as gay saying, you know, I am married to a man. And, you know, there's this in the way that there's kind of this like understanding and bond and comfort between them. And he knows he's about to screw him to hell. And I think that's also weighing on him. And I think there's a lot of that in the subtext of the way he was uh, performing there, which was great. It was great. That's I think you're exactly right. And it makes sense by the end of the episode because you would attribute how he he was acting in that scene to the stress of the enormity of what he's getting ready to do. He's going to be a whistle. I mean, that's I can't imagine being in that kind of a position, being a whistleblower to this huge company. He could lose everything. All of these bad things could happen. So you're like, oh, that's why he's acting that way. That's why he acted out that way towards Freddie. But it's like, nope. Sounds mm-hmm. like it's more of that. He's very uncomfortable with what he knows he's going to be doing in that in that room right. during the deposition. You're right. Yeah. And then the other shout out, obviously, to uh, Malcolm Goodwin that played the young August Dupin as well in mm-hmm. that uh, deposition scene when they're in the boardroom or whatever with the lawyers on both sides. And Roderick starts. Yeah, that's my signature. And then when it starts flipping and he realizes the emotion on the face of Malcolm Goodwin as Dupin there. Without saying many words at all, he's just got a few little whispers or a few little, well, what about this? But it's all the face acting where you see the emotions go change as everything that he's been working on is just being tanked in front of him, where there's confusion to concern, fear, 
hurt, sadness, anger, pity. It's all like flashing across in different forms as he realizes what's going on and what Roderick is doing to him. And I, I had to just like keep watching that over and over because it's like, man, just the face acting on that alone. Again, very, very impressive. It, I 100% agree. Everything was all those emotions conveyed on his face in just a short amount of frames there in that scene um, as he's getting stabbed in the back by someone he thought was, I mean, I don't know if friend was, is, is maybe a stretch, but someone he was building a rapport with and seemed yeah. to have like a common bond and they seem to have similar backgrounds. Uh, they seem to have some commonalities and then, you know, boom, you get stabbed in yeah. the back. Yeah, that was, he did an amazing job. For sure. But that was so far, at least just my first point anyway, is just getting to see this this turn, this sin mm-hmm. uh, Roderick committed that marked his turn into the, the, the guy, terrible person we see today. Mm-hmm. So what's your next point? All right. The next I want to talk about another, not really arc, uh, just kind of the story we get this episode of Madeline. Talk more about Madeline. You talked about mm-hmm. how you felt that she was definitely more power hungry and more kind of you know the one pulling a lot of the strings and then you know Roderick definitely did come into his own as CEO but we see here in this episode that she definitely still has that that hunger and that crave for power where when she realizes what's going on even after all these years she's ready to just throw Roderick under the bus throw him to the wolves do whatever she can that's why she goes to meet with Verna is she's like Okay, that's Roderick's situation. You know what? He can pay for whatever. Was it his deal or was it our deal? Like, maybe it's just him and I can still come out on top with this. She's still, she's just vying for her own protection, her own power. She's talking to to Pim, where she's ready to just oust him right behind his back, use the board's distrust and his diagnosis all against him and just, I'll take over, leave him out. You know, whatever happens, happens. Let the cards lie where they fall. And you know, I'll move the company out of pharmaceuticals and into technology and I'll be the new face and CEO. And, you know, she has this like, oh, it's the hardest thing I've ever had to say. Like, she's like, oh, it's my twin brother and I love him. But like, really, if you're looking at her, she's ruthless. She doesn't really care. Yeah, maybe it'll make her a little sad to to treat her brother this way. But like, if she gets the power at the end of the day, that's what she's after. And so I think she still definitely has that in her. And we see that this episode. <laughs> She does. I, I said early on, I don't remember which episode specifically, but it was early on that I felt very much that Madeline was the the brains and the motivations behind everything that we're seeing unfold throughout the series. And it's definitely so clear in this episode and exactly what, what you said. And I want to believe that w- with how she was willing to throw Roderick under the bus, go and negotiate on her own behalf and just be like, hey, you know, like you said, this this is all Roderick's thing. Let's let him just handle and handle all of that and deal with that. Let's talk about me now. I want to rene- um, renegotiate our terms here uh, and, and, and make sure that I still come out on top. I still want to believe that she does love her brother. Now, maybe it's in her own twisted, screwed up 
way because I do feel she had emotion there when she was talking to Arthur and saying, yeah. you know, it's the hardest thing I've ever had to say out loud. It sounded like her voice was cracking a little bit there. Like she like there was something behind that, some real yeah. emotion, real sadness or whatever it was within her that she is sad about her brother. They do seem to have, a, you know, they. Roderick and Madeline are the only two in the world. It's like they're in their their own little bubble. In fact, I would almost go as far to say their relationship's a little creepy <laughs> and a little bit closer than maybe brothers and sisters should be. I don't know. Maybe it's a twin thing. I don't know. But they do have a a very kind of like unique brother-sister relationship. Yeah. Um. So I want to believe she does love her brother, but with the way that she went at him in this episode, I don't know. She was free and ruthless. She was definitely all about Madeline and looking out for Madeline uh, in mm-hmm. this in this episode. Yeah, with her going to speak to Verna, which <laughs> t- she took off the wig. It's getting serious. It was an interesting <laughs> scene. I was like, okay. Um. <laughs> that really threw me. I, yeah. I had been wondering if she... And I didn't know if maybe it's just the actress wearing a wig for the part, which is totally fine. I'm a fan of wigs, so I don't mean any negativity about that at all. So I, when she did that, I was like, oh, my goodness, is she is she going to like, is that all of her hair that she's getting ready to take off? Is she what she got going on under there? And no, it was just some bangs and like a front yeah. piece. But I, I, I attribute it to like a part of her mask. Like she was removing yeah. a mask. Absolutely. Is, is how I took it. It fits her character a lot. I mean, that's what like Verna tells her is you're just like wearing a mask under a mask under a mask kind of like this is just what you are. Mm-hmm. And that was that. But then also this obsession she has with immortality where like even like these small little things, she's like, just this little hairpiece makes me look that much younger, and that's why I can talk, keep doing it. And it's this, it just, it's, that's her personality and her, her way. So I thought it was interesting that, yeah, they just had that little moment of <laughs> her removing that and kind of this vulnerability of like, all right, cards on the table, let's take care of business. And she goes to Verna there. Um, interesting stuff in the house, of course, she also hears sounds from the basement. Uh, this is before Roderick and August were there, uh, but the sounds that she's hearing are those bells, the same bells from behind the Fortunato basement wall, I believe. Yeah. So interesting. Interesting. And then Verna says something to her about, "Oh, Roderick has been coming and bringing more and more boxes and stuff down there." Which again, what? what the I, frig? <laughs> I know that's in one of my notes. What the hell's in the boxes? Why is yeah. he moving boxes into the basement? What does that mean? Uh, and then, so again, she's very like powerful. She's trying to be on top. And then I love the shift. Her entire demeanor changes while she's at the house. Is it's the moment after she snaps Verna's neck, and then Verna from behind her is just like, "Oh, I'm sorry. That's right. That was too far." And like realizing at that moment that Verna's still alive. Verna's still there. Verna is something else. I was gonna say, what powerful. is Verna? <laughs> and you see her where she turns and she looks and goes. I apologize and sits down. And when her demeanor changes at that, you realize she can't negotiate herself out of this for the first time in probably a very, very, very long time. Madeline has no power. She does not have the upper hand. She's not in control. And you see everything about her shift and change at that moment. And I thought that was 
great as well. There's a lot of great like body acting and face acting and just like performances in that. Uh, I've got more thoughts about that scene, but it's more on the Verna side of things. So I'll come back to it. I'll circle back around. But sweet. But yeah, and then again, this control over Roderick is at the end of the episode where she comes to him down in the basement. Says Freddy's dead. That means it's just the two of us left. You remember the deal. You remember the terms. Into the world together, out of the world together, or there is no deal. And she's quoting Verna there. So it's, again, very intriguing. I'm like, okay, so there was a deal made. And they should have known the terms. It had to do with the two of them left. So there's a lot of stuff that we've kind of wondered about or talked about but haven't seen and still really haven't seen. So I'm still curious to see if we'll get that full conversation between them and Verna in the finale. I don't know. But we got a lot of it there. Uh, and then this is where, again, that power kind of thing that she has. She says, oh, you're going to be the hero. You're you're helping all of us. But but is it really you're helping me? This is my way out of it. Not your way out of it. My way. How do we how do we end this? She says it's the only way. For for what? For anything that Roderick would want to happen? Or is it the only way for her to remain in power on top? Is she being selfish in this moment? I'm not sure, but I wouldn't be surprised knowing Madeline. Um, but yeah, she convinces him to just OD on this entire bottle of uh, Ligodone. It's, it's the only way, whatever that means. And he does. He does it. And he would be dead, except Berna's got other plans. Uh, <laughs> so, more intrigue. But yeah, uh, and then the last thing we get of her in this episode, of course, is before she walks off, before we get that Verna reveal. At the end, we hear Madeline hears the bells behind that wall, and it's the first time this series that she's heard them, or at least that she has acknowledged that she hears them. We've seen Roderick listening to them a lot throughout the series, but it's the first time they jingle or whatever, and she's the one that's hearing them and acknowledging. So I thought that was interesting too. Very interesting, and yeah, it's a good point. Is it the first time she's actually hearing them, or just the first time she's acknowledging? that she's hearing them because maybe she wasn't willing to play into, you know, what Roderick was saying before because she wanted to keep him on track with everything that was happening to the family and the company and, you know, things like that. She's like trying to keep him on the straight, straight and narrow, mm-hmm. but yeah, good point. Yeah. The, the pact was my second point. So I'll just add to that and then I'll, go into one of my notes as, as a point. Um, I think you said a lot, cause we don't, we don't really know a lot. So you said a lot of what, you know, I had in my point as well, but it was interesting to at least confirm anyway, that there was some sort of pact between them. I mean, I think yeah. we've just been kind of assuming the entire season that there has to be something there that happened between them. And it, had something to do with New Year's, which we still haven't got to. So I really do hope we hear the rest of that conversation that we got with them where they, they sit at the table and Vern is talking to them and uh, kind of understand what it all means. And yeah, when she said into the world together, out of the world together, or there is no deal, whatever terms of this contract, you know, that they have, you know, does Madeline think that him overdosing on ligadone that if he dies and they don't leave the world together that it somehow makes the 
steal null and void or something like because if into the world together out of the world together or there's no deal so if they don't both go together no deal and madeline wins like she can then come out of that is that is that how you were taking it that's what it seems like that's the angle it seems she's yeah, because she tried to re- she tried to renegotiate with Verna, and that didn't work. So sounds like this was her way of still screwing Roderick over and still trying to come out on top was by trying to somehow make the deal null and void um, if he if he goes out uh, without Madeline. It's the only thing I can think of. And then of course Verna's like, no, 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 <laughs> <We're> not- <laughs> you're that's not how this works, right? But I'm I'm so curious to see what happens. Does Verna stay with Roderick here? Because what happened from that point to then where he goes to the house and Dupin meets him and we kind of get to where we are now. You know, she's had this whole and she tells Madeline like, oh, I'll you know, I'll I'll talk with him later or, you know, we'll we'll get there later. And she seems to already know, you know, oh. This this will be set up for the boys later, so she already knows that that's going to happen. Yeah, so interesting. I just I can't wait to see what happens next. <laughs> um, since you said most of my point there, I'm going to just jump into one of my notes. It's going to be short and sweet, but it has to do with the color theory that I've mentioned yeah. off and on. Mm-hmm. You called it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Frederick's color is blue. I think we had some other listeners and stuff, too, that that mentioned they thought it was going to be blue, um, based on his clothing, at least. Yeah. So we did see a lot of blue in this episode. He um, wears a lot of blue clothing throughout the series. He is lit with blue when Verna comes to him there in the building, and he's um, approaching his death. Blue, I read, can evoke beginnings. Uh, we mentioned, and I think this was way back in episode two, Mask of the Red Death. It was Perry's episode. Yeah. Um, in that story, those rooms at the mask are, were all different colored. And yeah. the first room in the Mask of the Red Death was blue, which Frederick's the first Usher child. So that checks out. First room, first child. Uh, sometimes blue can represent purity uh the blue color is also associated with the deadly sin of lust but whenever i watch the scene a second time where verna comes to him after he is then disabled by the nightshade the room almost looks a little violet Mm -hmm. kind of purpley blue and violet is the color um that represents the most deadly of sins, and that's pride. But violet also represents the color of kings and royalty, which Frederick being the family heir kind of fits as well. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of color theory there. I have no idea if that means I absolutely like it, anything <laughs> in the <laughs> in the grand scheme of the series. Does any of that mean anything? I don't know, but it's really but it's such fun. a great touch. Yeah, yeah. It's it's attention to detail. You know, obviously, all of these siblings had some colors 
you know, um, that you can relate that whatever the, the colors might mean uh, can kind of relate to the, the kids in some way. So it's a nice little tie in. I don't know if it means anything to the grand scheme of the, of the story itself and, and how it ends, but I think it's kind of fun. Definitely a lot of blue uh, for Frederick's color in this episode. So just thought I'd call that out. Yeah. Uh, what's your next point? All right. I'm going to dive into not the big, big one, but <laughs> one that I want to talk about again. Um, I'm going to go ahead and just kind of like what I've, I've noticed in this episode. I think I think we got an answer without being given directly an answer. Uh, Ooh, OK. You know what that means, because you said, you know, who is Verna? What is Verna? I think we got the answer officially this episode without her spelling it directly out. She tells Madeline. I'll give you clarity. And then when Madeline says, I thought you were going to say, I'll give you clarity. I didn't get that. She goes, oh, it'll come to you. So digging through some of the Verna scenes, I think that's exactly what happened is you had to sit on it a little bit. She, she gave us clarity. She gave us an answer on what she is. Um, In the poem. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> I think I too. know where you're going then. I think yeah. I know where you're going. Let's, let's do it. So talking about Verna, um, of course, we see, and we'll I'll talk about Freddie for sure uh, later. But we get the scene with you know while he's on the phone at his wife's bedside, and he goes into that weird little trance. Which on first watch you're like, well, that was weird. But then yeah, later we learn Verna was getting directly involved because you know uh, you know someone is evil when the devil herself is horrified by your actions. Um, now again, I don't know exactly if the who or what Verna is is the devil. Uh, I just like that turn of phrase. Uh, mm-hmm. I saw somebody online say, and I was like, yeah, that's <laughs> great. But when we get to, uh, again, Madeline and Verna meeting up, there's a lot of great stuff from Verna there. I loved the sass and the, the wording that she used in those scenes. Uh, you know, like the, I gave you the address. So don't pat yourself too hard on the back. It's uh, <laughs> so just enough snark. <laughs> yeah. Or that, you know, when, when she's trying to negotiate and say, well, was that, were those terms for, for Roderick, but not me? And I love, again, the turn of phrase. Are you blaming Roderick or Redrick? Uh, <laughs> and then a lot of those little cryptic things that she says, you know, the, you know what I am. And then even later saying, I'm not a woman, uh, going on to say she's the witness of suffering, which is a very intriguing thing to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I can see who someone was, who they are, and who they would have been. Uh, I guess assuming that they didn't make some kind of deal with her, then she sees what that kind of other reality would have been without that deal. And she says that the deal she made with Roderick and Madeline was to guarantee certainty. Which was interesting, again, what all that mm. means. Um, <laughs> uh, she says Vern, or she says Roderick would have been a poet in his other life. And so, you know, we're, we're similar that way. She goes, language in its highest expression is musical. And I was like, okay, Mike Flanagan. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a little yeah. pat on the back. Right. Mike Flanagan was giving himself for sure. I mean, right. deservedly so. The man is a master mm-hmm. of language. But uh, yeah, yeah. I, love, I love that. <laughs> but yeah, as you mentioned, the poem, she recites Pose, the City and the Sea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is the clarity that she's talking about. She says that she wrote that to give Madeline clarity. Uh, I referenced her as the devil earlier in that kind of little joke. 
but I think she's definitely something else. Um, she says too. that she wrote this poem as humans started building city. And the poem, The City and the Sea, it is a personification of death watching over a city, the city that it has created, and how the city, in a way, is even more evil than hell because it holds death in reverence. Kind of one of the main, like, philosophical or whatever, like, suggestions about this poem is that it ends with the concept that death is worse than the devil. So is Verna the devil, or is she worse? Is she death? Uh, <laughs> I went there exactly. Yeah. Um, at least that's my theory. I, I don't know that, obviously, but I feel like we we keep getting these nuggets all throughout the series that tell us everything that we need to know without being obvious. And I feel like that poem gave us a huge clue. Like Absolutely. We keep asking that question, and I feel like that that gave us the answer. And then the clarity comes even a little bit longer with uh, Frederick's death scene, where she's sitting there with Freddie and has a lot of good uh, things that she says to him. You know, the <laughs> you, a dentist. You would have been a dentist in the other life. And a good one, too. And she goes, I guess that made what you did feel worse somehow. Uh, you know, and then the you had to bring her home. You had to grab the pliers, which, ooh, chills. Yeah. But, but I think what really solidified this Verna is death idea is her saying, you know, you, you've been scared all your life, this and that, you know. And then with her saying to Frederick right there at the end, she says, but I'm finally, finally here. And yeah, I mean, what's there? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Death. Death is there. And I feel like the the way that she speaks about it, like I could have done this any way that I wanted to. You know, she she says it to Camille. You could have died in your sleep at home in your bed. You know, this could have been peaceful. She mentions it a few times to the other siblings, uh, hints at it that it didn't have to be this way. Like their death was going to be inevitable. And it is for everyone. Just let me be clear. I know that. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> for everyone it happens but she has control over how it's going to happen you know and and when it's going to happen um and and th that line with freddie and when she says it to him i'm like she's saying it again like she is telling you that this could have ended differently you know you could have had a heart attack in your car which teed up nicely like she says with the <laughs> coke that he's yeah. just consuming um obsessively and with that poem and i when i looked it up because i was like okay i'm a little bit rusty with my poetry so i did look up the summary for it and yeah it, exactly what you said it's it is that poem describes a doomed city of sin that sinks to the bottom of the sea uh and it takes us through death's city. He rules the place from a throne and towers over it gigantically. Um, the city is lit by nothing but light from the sea. It follows um, the progression to see the towers, the palaces, um, the spires. And then towards the end of the poem, a change comes over the ocean. Uh, the city sinks slowly into the water consumed by the shiny surface. This um, compares to a more ter terrible version of hell in the last lines, a place that hell would worship. Um, is what I read. Mm. So I, I feel like this is the only conclusion uh, for me. So I don't know. Well, I guess we'll see in the final episode if, if we get that final answer. But that's what it feels like. 
Yeah, which I like that, you know, she told Freddy that it could have been a different way. Mm-hmm. But what's different, because you mentioned even with Camille, you said, oh, you, you can change your mind. That I love that, you know, she really was in this episode. Verna was very much like, oh, my God, fuck this guy. I'm going to make sure he suffers. <laughs> because yeah, she like, did, you suck, dude. <laughs> yeah, she gave all the other ushers those like last chance to do something different. Not Freddy. She never gave him that opportunity. And in fact, it's the exact opposite. She went out of her way to ensure that this was exactly what he deserved. Like, mm-hmm. after his treatment of his wife with the pliers and everything, that's why she said, you know, you had to bring her home. You had to grab the pliers. There was zero sympathy. From death herself, she was like, oh no, this guy's getting exactly what he deserved. I'm not giving him a second opportunity because he is terrible. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think if if he had made a different choice and left Maury in the hospital, left her in caring, healing hands, and had her best interests at heart, instead of going down the path that he had, he would have been presented, you know, with an option. Mm-hmm. Not that he would have, I, I think, taken it, just like all the other Escher siblings right. seem to continue going down that dark path. And they they ended up the way that they did, uh, but I think that it had had he not made those decisions that he did with Maury and done what he done, she would have presented him with a chance yeah. to still do the right thing. But yeah, even even that was too far. That w- when death calls you out for being a piece of shit, you got right. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's pretty bad. Uh-huh. That yeah. is really great. Really great. I just, I, I want to say as a side note that if I could fall asleep every night to Carla Gugino reading poetry, I, w- <laughs> I would be extremely happy. Her or Bruce, Bruce Greenwood. I've really loved his quoting of various Poe uh, poems, yeah. and especially Annabelle Lee. That was always one of my personal favorites growing up. Um. But yeah, Carla Gugino quoting that poem was just yeah. like heaven. She's just a fantastic actress. Yes. Okay, well, I'm going for the big one. All um, right. I don't know if it's in your order, if it's next, or oh, what it's, have it's you. It's the last. But... It's, again, usually how it goes is, it's my last one that I've got left. <laughs> it's a big one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So. I'm I'm yeah. ready to go there uh, with with my last point. It's um, R.I.P. Fredzo, the Usher Ascendant. <laughs> <laughs> so, Frederick, we've talked about him often throughout the series, and as we've seen this progression since Maury's accident, you know, like, and then when he's talked about bringing her home, it's like, oh my God, why is he? What is he going to do? Why is he bringing her home? This doesn't feel right. And of course, it wasn't. Nothing about this was right. As soon as he gets her home, we can see this, like, just absolute madness that is bubbling under the surface with um, Frederick. And I've deduced this to feelings of inadequacy that has come to this crescendo of this full-blown inferiority complex like this is how far far that it's gotten and i think that we get a good picture of that in the flashback when depend and roderick are rehearsing 
for the deposition and Frederick is playing with his little fire truck and the siren keeps going off constantly and Roderick finally blows up at him and tells him to stop mm. and essentially wants Annabelle just to get him out of here like you know just will you come get him and take care of him I think it, we get a, a picture of it there and I think that in that moment and every moment since that time Frederick has felt like he's in his father's way mm. and that he can't measure up and all he's done is try to get love from his dad and I think he's probably even doing it in that moment where he's you know playing with this fire truck but if you can't get rid of those feelings you know feeling inferior then this is I think can happen you get this whole complex and I think he feels extremely inferior to his father and others around him. I think even though he's older than his sister um, and even from his uh, half-siblings, I think that Roderick had some serious or had a serious lack of paternal uh, instincts, maybe. I don't know. We didn't see him a whole lot interact with his children. I mean, they were yeah. kind of around and there, but we didn't really see a whole lot of interaction. So I, it's hard to to say what kind of a dad that he was. We just kind of see this moment. But I think that's what Roderick or how Fre- uh, Freddie kind of grew up with with Roderick. And then I think, especially at this point when freddie was so young and this is kind of seems to be around the same time that roderick kind of turns where we see this you know kind compassionate guy to now this ruthless person and probably also like whatever it is that happened to annabelle lee whether or not they just divorced and she went away which does not make sense i feel like something bad must have happened to annabelle just as a side note because i don't believe she would ever abandon her children like how could she not be in their lives in some way so i do feel like something bad happened to her, but the maybe the lack of his kind, compassionate mother to his overbearing father who always made him feel inadequate. And all I think he ever did was just crave his father's attention. And the older that he got, the less attention that he got. And he it, it just developed all of this over time. And in this scene, or in a few of the scenes when Roderick is telling Freddie Hey, you gotta you gotta soldier up, which is so much of like what Rufus told Roderick in flashbacks. Yeah. So to see this go from Rufus to Roderick, then to Frederick, uh, you just really see that whole cycle. Yeah. Um. So, despite all of that, though, like when Verna tells him, she's like, you know, despite all of that is no excuse for what you did. Right. So I think that this whole complex that he has, when he doesn't get what he wants and when he loses that control, then that's how it manifested in this with, with Maury and how he got so jealous uh, over her going to this party and lying to him about it, saying she was going to a friend's house and she ends up going to this party. Um, and she never, I don't know what she was going to do when she got to the party, you know? Um, but regardless of what she did or what she didn't do, did not deserve what happened to her. 
I cannot imagine the absolute horror. I mean, when he grabbed those pliers and when I realized what the hell he was getting ready to do, mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God. Like it was already totally um, bananas that he was bringing her home, not getting her any kind of treatment. He's paralyzing her with this nightshade drug. Yeah. Um, and then to do this, it's scary to think how far he went. And of course, I'm sure that the drugs that he was taking just really brought it out to the surface even more and really escalated all of it. Um, but yeah, Freddie, he he deserved everything that he got <laughs> in that moment. You know, they were all terrible. All the Usher's siblings were absolutely terrible. But I don't know. I think it was just really interesting to kind of see how Roderick got to be who he was. And at least that's how I think he got to that point. Anyway, what are your thoughts? I've got so many thoughts. (laughs) 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 Which, uh, yeah, so I mean, if I kind of just break it down like I do my point, because, yeah, it's kind of talking about Freddy for sure. But then, as I like to do, is really break down the title of the episode and, you know, what we get here, the pit and the pendulum. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which I've been doing these, finding these uh, kind of synopsis of the stories, uh, which since I've been doing them, this might be the last. I feel like we might get one more in the finale because I have a feeling if they're going to pull from a certain story. Actually, there's like two stories they might pull from the finale. Uh, yeah, they so might. I might get them. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't go online because, again, I think I've called out before. We even actually used to be an official podcast of the TV Time app for a period of time. Um and so I uh, still use TV time to kind of track stuff. And I like to see what people are saying episode by episode when I watch. So I will give credit to a uh, user, uh, Fahime, I think. something like, I don't know if they listen to this. Probably not. But, you know, just in case. Hopefully I didn't butcher that. But they're the one that has actually been. I thought that maybe these were official Netflix or like House of Usher like things. But no, apparently this user has been creating these themselves. And been posting them on there, and I've been using those, so I'm going to give credit to them for sure. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so the one here for uh, the pit and the pendulum. Uh, again, just a little story about this so you can see there there's differences and then similarities. But the pit and the pendulum is a short story written by Edgar Allan Poe, first published 1842. It's a chilling tale of suspense and horror set during the Spanish Inquisition. The story is narrated by an unnamed protagonist who has been sentenced to death and finds himself confined in a pitch black dungeon. As he explores his surroundings, he discovers a deep pit in the center of the room. Fearing falling into it, he moves to the other side and stumbles upon a pendulum hanging from the ceiling, slowly descending toward him. As the pendulum swings closer, the protagonist narrowly avoids being sliced in half by uh, smearing meat that his captors left him onto the ropes, attracting rats that chew through them. He's temporarily saved, but then he faces another danger, an immense heat that causes the walls to close in, threatening to crush him. Just as he's about to be crushed, French troops invade the dungeon, rescuing him from his impending doom. Frederick was not so lucky. Uh, (laughs) No. The Pit and the Pendulum showcases Poe's mastery of suspense and the ability to create a sense of claustrophobia and impending doom, and explores the themes of fear, torture, and the triumph of the human spirit in the face of extreme adversity. Again, not so much for Frederick. They took the the horror and stuff aspects of that without the the happy ending. Um, But then I also realized that, you know, there's other stuff to this. So then there's another short horror story by Edgar Allan Poe that is pulled uh, uh, for the story of Freddy and Maury specifically. And that is the story of 
Bernice or Berenice, which is a short horror story by Edgar Allan Poe, first published in the Southern Literary Messenger in 1835. The story is narrated by Aegeus, who is preparing to marry his cousin, Berenice. He tends to fall into periods of intense focus, during which he seems to separate himself from the outside world. Berenice begins to deteriorate from an unnamed disease until only her teeth remain healthy. And Aegeus obsesses over them. When Berenice is buried, uh, he, awa- uh, yeah, yeah, he continues to contemplate her teeth. And one day he awakens with an uneasy feeling from a trance-like state near scream. A servant reports that Berenice's grave has been disturbed, and she's still alive. Beside Aegeus is a shovel, a poem about visiting the grave of my beloved, and a box containing 32 teeth. So... Yeah. yeah. I oh yeah. In a was it an Altoids box? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, definitely another one that is uh pulled from heavily for this story as well, not just the pit and the pendulum. Uh <laughs> good call. Yeah, so that's kind of like the main stories, but then yeah, just other thoughts about Freddy and his situation. I like that, yeah, beginning, the episode opens with another foreshadowing. Now, this time, it's not just a sound like the shattering glass or the ticking heartbeat, but it's this swinging pendulum on the tail of the cat clock that little Freddy is mesmerized by. It's uh, foreshadowing this grisly fate he <laughs> that is awaiting him many years later, right? It's a little dark. Uh- <laughs> yeah, very dark, but yeah, I have that in my notes, swinging. Um, mm-hmm. The cat's tail swinging like a pendulum. The pendulum in the clock when Depen and Roderick are at the old house. The wrecking ball. Mm-hmm. You can see it start to swing back and forth in the windows. Yeah. That was so cool. Uh- <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, Freddie just, man. Yeah, the torture of Morella. Just a whole new level. Like the wedding pictures taped all over the walls. Like, full-on, like, psychopathic, like, serial killer mode. It's crazy. Like, this obsession that came, comes from uh, that Berenice story as well, where he's just, like, intense focus and, like, out-of-body almost obsession and not himself. <clears throat> he's got this obsession him, with the winning. <laughs> can you imagine but, him asking an intern to, like, print those out for him? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, he also has an obsession with the wedding ring, which kind of did him in, uh, among other things. I mean, he was Vernon's special project, for sure. But, you know, because he goes back inside the building to look for that wedding ring. Uh, now, what he doesn't even get a chance to look. He's uh, trying to, you know, pay one last um, disrespect to his brother and get stopped dead in his tracks. But uh, but I think Rest that's... Rest in peace. No. Jesus. But I think he was also going in to look for that wedding ring one last time, which then just the evil uh, that he has. I mean, with his, you know, he delivers threats with a smirk. Like, you know, talk about that wedding ring. It's like, if I find it, I'll, I'll bring it back. It's like, if I don't find it, I'll get you a new one. But if I do, I'll bring it back and I'll put it back on you. And then if you ever take it off again, I'll weld it to your fucking finger. Or <clears throat> when he's on the phone with the guy, the construction guy, and like, giving this little smile to Maury as he's threatening to, and I'll come over there and pull your teeth out with pliers. Like, 
giving her this look like, ha ha, isn't that so funny and clever? Do you get it? Because I just did that to you. Ha ha ha. Like, it's just evil. Um, yeah, absolutely diabolical. You know, it has that, even that other speech, which I, I decided not to go word for word. Because uh, it's a great speech, even if it's absolutely horrible. Uh, honestly, just watch it again instead of me reciting it. But the very short version, he says, you know, we don't break the bond, just crack it. If you want to test a bond in a relationship, says put your house in order. If you don't want to be consistently cruel, be sufficiently brutal once. I won't break our bond. You already cracked it. I don't want to be consistently cruel. That's not me. So I'll be sufficiently brutal once. And then we can start to heal. And then he pulls out her teeth with pliers because he can't stand that she was smiling in the security footage of the party. Like, he's just oh, completely gone off the deep end. Um, now, I think a lot of the mental stuff that plays in this, you mentioned the inferiority kind of thing. There's kind of a running theme in this episode of people going behind Roderick's back. Uh, not only Madeline, but also Juno for what's best for her, but she goes behind his back to try to get off the Ligodone. But there's mm -hmm. also kind of an unspoken, I read into it, that Freddy is also stabbing his father in the back here. Because we have the moment mm -hmm. where he's talking to Roderick in the office, and he says, you know, if they call, you just don't pick up. That's the best message. And if they corner you in the street, you tell them, I'm Frederick Usher. I'm the repository of the hopes and dreams of a fucking empire, so take your treacherous bullshit elsewhere. Can you do that? He says, I can. And then the next time we see him, he's has answered the phone, which he's told not to. <clears throat> and he's giving this like watered down, weaker version of that statement. But also based on his response. We don't hear what the board has to say on the other end of that phone, but it seems like their pitch was to give Frederick the CEO position, have him replace his father as the head. Because when he gets off the phone, he's like, oh, can you believe, you know, things are happening for me. And then. When he's on the phone with the construction crew, he says, I'm the Usher Ascendant. And he even refers to himself as already the CEO of the company now. Yeah. Like, I, so it's I this, caught that. Yeah. Theme of like just going behind his father's back and stabbing it, uh, which seems to be the Usher way for literally anyone they ever deal with or meet in their whole lives, um, including each other. So. <clears throat> yeah, I picked up on that, too. I was like, oh, he's like Madeline is looking to screw him over and go to the board and be like, okay, we're going to push out Roderick, put, place me in charge, and, you know, we'll we'll strip the, you know, the pharmaceutical side and become and rebrand as a technology, you know, a technological kind of brand and move forward with this AI. Um, but then, you know, Freddie's like, oh, well, here's an opportunity. You know, the board is going to vote. I'll have them name me uh i don't think he's a match for madeline though i think no. <laughs> i don't Eat know if he alive. knows that but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but he has the self-inflated like ego you know to think that he would somehow you know be chosen right um, yeah i did pick up on that yeah and the last little things about him of course you know let's go ahead and just get rid of any last remaining tiny bit of sympathy or care we could possibly have for frederick by having him be a threatening dick to his own daughter right uh wow <laughs> nobody yeah. talks to me like this there will be repercussions i'll come back and deal with you although i will say i laugh it's again henry thomas our good best friend henry thomas and his <laughs> delivery of things where that you know when she's talking about you know i talked to the doctor and they they'll accept her and they'll get her into this place and he goes why the fuck would you do that i'm sorry why the fuck would you do that 
sweetheart. And I'm like, oh, much better. That's <laughs> that made all the difference. Yeah, <laughs> made all the difference. Yeah. I. I laugh. He, yeah, he's, he's done a really great job with the character. And I sit here and wonder to myself as I'm watching him play such a desp- despicable character. And I'm like, are you just really itching to shed the whole, hey, I'm that cute little kid from E.T. Right. Persona? <laughs> because <laughs> like, are, you, uh, are you asking for roles? And then Mike Flanagan's like, I got you, bro. <laughs> Because he played a, de- a despicable character in Gerald's game, too. Absolutely, I won't yeah. talk about it or tell in case someone hasn't watched it. Please go back and watch that. It's really fantastic. Um, but I'm like, you know, are you, are you just itching for these roles? People are still referring to you as the cute kid from E.T.? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'll show them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and then just his death. Uh, again, going inside the building to look for the ring, like I figured. but uh. You know, he takes one little last bump of his uh, white powder in his baggie, and like he says to Mori, amazing how fast it works, huh? Um, it's this nightshade paralytic, which dropped from right to the floor, can't move, can't speak, but can see, hear, and feel everything. Uh, which, so brilliant. What a man. great moment. Yeah. Not, not a fun way to go out, you know? Mm-mm. Being completely paralyzed and then being slowly sawed in half by a giant swinging jagged piece of metal. Rest in pieces, Broderick. Um, <laughs> but yeah, again, it's just after everything that he did, Verna's like, yeah, no sympathy. I could have made this easy on you, but you don't deserve that. Uh, which is interesting because we see when he was in that trance that Verna was there. I wonder how much more he saw. I mean, she clearly saw him kind of go into this weird trance and then like scoop nightshade into his baggie. And like, she's watching him put this paralytic into what she knows he's going to be snorting later. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she can't say anything. I don't know whether she would have anyway, because karma, uh, you know, yeah, dude just finished ripping out her teeth. Right. So I'd be like, yeah, you get what you deserve. Sorry. Like, I wonder That's if Maury even saw Verna standing behind him. Uh, which Wouldn't that be she was in like this, nurse's outfit which makes me think like that's probably how she would have come to him if she was gonna give him a choice is like if maury would have stayed in the hospital she would have been a nurse in the hospital that would have been like oh are you gonna do this or that or how are you gonna treat your wife like i feel like that may have been the form she was gonna come to him in but then she she kind of knew why he brought her home and knew what he was gonna do and was like yeah we're just gonna go full out (laughs) on this guy no no worry about giving him any chances And you know what I find interesting about what Verna said to Freddie when she tells him, you know, typically I don't get involved directly. Uh, and in, But in this case, because he got so violent and abusive, she did step in like she did. So then I think, you know, as we've talked about with some of the other siblings, how much of a role did Verna play into what happened to them? like with Vic or with Tammy um, trying to think of how it played out with the others, but like Vic, you know, we talked about there at the end before she stabbed herself did, which I still believe that some based on what she said to Rod to Roderick, when she said, I should have let you jump. Mm. I still think that was Verna coming out a little bit. 
but I was the rest of it, I guess, Vic, like all of like that means that the other siblings really were just that messed up that she didn't have to intervene in any way to get them there. She just simply put them in maybe situations that, you know, kind of put them in the situations, but their actions were their own is what I'm trying right. to say. Yeah. Like even Leo, it's like, she was there. It was because of her that it happened, but like he was reacting to her at any point. He could have stopped what he was doing and been, you know, more logical. You know, there's a lot of choice chances and, and choices that people made. Vic is an interesting one. Yeah. Because of that, but, but even like with Tammy and stuff, like there could have been a moment where Tammy could have stopped smashing mirrors and had a like personal understanding of herself moment and like figured some stuff out and like stop. Like there's always like it's a, their own reaction. Mm-hmm. So like she was definitely involved in all of them. So she says, I don't get personally involved. Oh, she gets personally involved. But like to this level where she literally took this guy's like brain over for a second to make him drug himself and then like puts him in position and is like, no, I orchestrated this specifically where you have no choice. Exactly. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that we kind of get that revelation. So it kind of makes you, you know, think, you know, how much or what little she may have had to do with uh, the others. I mean, obviously, yeah, she put them in or help get them in situations, but they still could decide what, how they were going to react or act Mm -hmm. in those situations. And what they did was under their own influence versus any influence that she had over them. And clearly she's capable of, because we did see her do it with, with Freddie. So she's capable of like kind of forcing the hand a little bit. Um, But, but only with him did she do that because he's such a piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) All interesting thoughts. I mostly just have notes left. Do you want to just cover your other points as notes, or do you want to go ahead yeah. and continue with your points? Uh, that's really all the points, main. Uh, okay. Like I said, I had like two other like that could be points, but I saved them for notes. One of them being the flashback and stuff with Roderick that we you covered. Great. So we're good. Uh, so the other one was like a short one with like uh, Juno, just talking a little bit more about her again. Going behind Roderick's back, the, the theme of the episode, uh, mm-hmm. him being pissed off and people going behind his back um, as she's trying to get off of the Ligodone. Uh, the, the family doctor, so to speak, that she sees, you know, says, uh, can't say that she, she should get off of it, but, but if she did it, here's a certain way that she would have to do it. You have to wean yourself off of it slowly over time with differing levels of withdrawals and severe pain and suffering for this drug that's totally, completely non-addictive and safe, right? Um, that's <laughs> the totally theme. nothing wrong going on here at right. all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then she confronts Roderick with the same thing. Tells him, even I want to get off of it, and of course he's going to react poorly to that, as is expected. She's his pet project, his proof of concept. He's, you know, she's the, the poster, poster child. child. Yeah, for um, yeah, <laughs> Jinx. Literally, yeah, yeah for Ligadone. Yeah, and she's tired of being that, and. Again, he explains how much of a nightmare it's going to be to get clean from this completely safe and non-addictive drug. No, no. <laughs> it's no. not addictive. Here's just all of the it's, side effects. You're like, wait, those are side effects of withdrawals and withdrawal, detoxing detox. from an addiction. <laughs> yeah. Why? Sorry. Say again. It's um, not addictive. However, there's all these side effects. Right. Jeez. Uh, 
but yeah, she's not going to be this walking commercial that he wants anymore. And I like that she's not taking shit. She lays it right out. And that's, you know, she's, you're a monster. You know that? I married a monster. And then his response is just awful. Where, yeah, we see who Roderick is. Cause he goes, no, dear. Mm-hmm. I'm Victor Frankenstein. You're the monster. You are my perfect creation. What was left of you after that accident was a corpse on a slab, and Legadone was the lightning. I threw the switch, you set up, and look, it's alive. It's like, man. God, he's so gross. Yeah, and we see he never loved Juno for, for Juno. He never loved her for her, for who she is. What he loved was what she meant as PR for his drug. She was a living testament to his brilliance, and that's what he loved. Uh, and then she gives just like the best mic drop, kind of paraphrased or shortened. I cut out some of the middle part of it, but basically her answer at the end, she goes, three years? Okay, I can do three years. I will take three years of hell over a lifetime with you. Easy. And walks off. Which yeah. I want to feel like, good for her, exit stage right, Juno, never to be seen again. Except we know that the funerals of Freddie, Tammy, and Vic are yet to still happen, and she was at those funerals. So she does still come back and sit. But was she sitting on the opposite side of the aisle or next to him? I'm trying to remember. I I need to go back and watch. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't re- Or maybe we'll see it in the final episode. I don't know if we see it again. But yeah, I don't recall. But I do remember her being there. So I was just glad to see her. And also she looked healthy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like the worst she got from that freaking mic stand last right. episode was this like black eye, which looked not as bad as I expected. I expected right. her to be like completely concussed and have a huge like bruise on the side of her face. But the damage actually looked fairly minimal for, right. you know, that what I assumed for that type of injury getting just completely yeah. whacked. Who knew that a, yeah, a mic stand yeeted directly into her face was the wake-up call she needed, but it it was. So. <laughs> I want to know who the hell was on thir- what 1,300 milligrams of freaking Ligodone. Oh, yeah. Like, she's on, like, the second highest dose that they've they've had. Who the hell was on, on that much as she's talking with mm. that doctor? Right. Crazy. Yeah, I'm glad glad Juno's still with us and that she seemed to be okay and seems to want to get her life together. Like, she was so perplexed that Roderick's, like, mad at her because she wants to get clean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's, uh, and then the other thing, I've just got a few other, like, little random notes. I don't know if I can do those now or we'll let you, if you've got other notes, too. <laughs> Let's see. Yeah, why not? I only have a few, I think, that we haven't already talked about. You you mentioned uh, in the flashback, Depend kind of just casually came out to Roderick. This was in like the early 1980s. Mm-hmm. That, for someone at that time, was a really big deal. And that Roderick didn't have like or a... even late 70s, I guess, if this was before the... That's true. 1979, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. 1979, almost 1980. That's that That was you know, just not common at all. And to see that Roderick didn't make like a big deal about it. He was like chill. So I love that. I made a note. I don't know that it's always, but it's often. Arthur Pym's always wearing gloves. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. It may not mean anything. Maybe it just adds to his character, this mysterious like 
and you know ambiance that he has but he's often wearing gloves even just standing there in the boardroom and i'm like okay yeah. so he's not out i get it if you know i like driving gloves if you're out just you know out, <laughs> out running around and i like driving gloves no he's inside in like the conference room and he's he's wearing these black gloves all the time i don't i don't know if if it means anything it just kind of stood out to me uh talked about the boxes what the hell are the boxes in the house um that's it we've talked about all my other notes already so all right. yeah go ahead with yours uh all right just a few little things first uh we see the the office with madeline pym and uh roderick standing there and just some some again turns of phrase the dialogue uh <laughs> wording phrasing uh in some of these things but um First, I just like the, you know, where they're talking about the board, and, and Roderick says, we've got blackmail, strangle it in the crib, and Arthur's response is, oh, it's out of the crib. It's starting college. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a great pim line. Um, <laughs> but then also, just some of the, the wording, uh, you know, Tammy's dead, so Roderick is pissed, uh, still doesn't want to listen to Madeline about any of the Verna stuff, because his heirs on the board are disappearing now between Vic and Tammy. And now um, he's he could lose his place on top. And Freddie is the swing vote. <laughs> swing. Very uh, uh, <laughs> on the nose. More swinging uh, in this episode. Yeah. So I typed very on the nose and that autocorrected at first to in the nose, which then I figured was also fitting for Freddie. So um, <laughs> <laughs> he was definitely a lot in the nose. Yeah. This uh, episode. Also, he just, when they're talking about getting the board in line after Tammy's death, and he, what is, what is the, the turn of phrase that he uses with Pim to get the board uh, in line is to break glass. Uh, again, phrasing, too soon. Ooh, <laughs> phrasing. You know, that's a, and that brings up another thing. Like, nobody's really mourning Tammy. Like, <laughs> she just died. You know, Roderick is going off about where the hell was security? How did this happen? Frederick's like, Tammy apparently killed herself by a fire poker. I don't even know how the hell or what that even means. Right. And it's like, that's pretty much all the mentions that she that she gets. And it's, you know, a little different than some of the other. Not that everyone was mourning all the siblings, but there, there was a little bit of at least something either from roderick or madeline or some of the other siblings leo was slightly more compassionate towards his siblings mm -hmm. you know um so yeah it was like oh tammy tammy's gone okay oh no now it's the anyway, board vote yeah. you know yeah <laughs> uh and then lastly i just wanted to talk about lenore a little bit her she knows her dad is lying and she's worried as she confronts him and is kind of like yelling at him which then we saw how he reacts to that, just very coked out and, like, threatening her. Uh, she had no idea how bad things really were until, you know, luckily after he leaves, she ends up having to break into her mom's hospital room, which is funny that, like, that scene comes right after, again, Verna and Madeline are talking, and she's like, you come across a locked door, you pry it open, and then it cuts to her prying open the locked door, which is like, that's yeah. fun. Um, which, you know, the fact that Frederick locked that door is already a point of concern for Lenore. So she just, she breaks in there and sees the horrifying state that her mother has been left in. And so just kind of sprinkled throughout the episode, we do see that, yeah, she calls 911 paramedics and stuff come and rescue Maury. Thank God. Hopefully she gets some better care and 
some kind of healing can go to her. I mean, it's it's a lot she's still got to go through, but we see Lenore being there for her mom, and it's, again, kind of pinpointing this, the one good usher. Right? I hope so, but I worry about Lenore. Yeah. And that's all the notes I've got. That's it. Good stuff. <laughs> Very good stuff. So much in this episode. Um, it, it was interesting how they were able to pack all of that in and including, you know, Roger or um, Frederick's death. Yeah. I'm excited. Excited to get to the next episode and see how this all ends up. But uh-huh. first, let's get to our listener feedback. We got some really great feedback this week from our amazing listeners. Uh, do you want to start us off? Sure. Start off with Alma Contreras, who said... Ugh, probably the worst Usher death. Can you imagine being aware but immobilized as you watch the pendulum coming for you? Eek, I will probably have nightmares about this scene. I do feel that Freddy's descent into madness went pretty fast, and poor Lenore watching her dad was heartbreaking. I'm loving how this story seems to be taking its time to unfold. Flanagan sure did a good job keeping us guessing and wondering this far into the story. By the way, I just want to let you know that I truly enjoy listening to the cast so much. You guys are awesome. Thanks. You are awesome for listening. Thank you. What a lovely thing uh, to say and just, you know, throwing that out there. Appreciate you. Lindsay Schlick says, meh, so much talking. I was doing better with the episodes lately, but man, this one drove me nuts. Talking, talking, talking. I love the talking. (laughs) I know. I'm sorry, Lindsay, but you know us. I love the talking. (laughs) She goes on. So were Roderick and Madeline playing Augie the entire time? If they were, Roderick definitely had me fooled. I thought for sure he used to be a good guy. I'm glad Lenore finally took charge and called the police. Took her long enough. Little Freddy tearing in half was pretty freaky. The scares in the series have been weak for me, so that one was probably the best. I laughed out loud when Verna finished her five-minute-long monologue and Madeline said, I thought you were going to provide clarity. (laughs) (laughs) Same girl, same. Carla did look beautiful in her close-up. I'll give her that. Freddy's death was fantastic, very much deserved, horrifying to consider. The drug switch so he could live out what he'd done to Maury was a nice touch. Pretty glad we're finishing up. I'm not going to lie. Uh, Rima, I also thought of Hannibal last week, having an old friend for dinner. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thanks. I'm glad I remembered that correctly. Thank you, Lindsay. All right. This one comes from Don Elizabeth, who writes, These episodes get darker and darker. What a horrible way to go. But it mirrors what Frederick was doing to his wife, so it was appropriate. Even Verna sounded a bit shocked she orchestrated it. She didn't give him a choice to back out, did she? Like she offered some of the other kids. I've really enjoyed watching Henry Thomas in this series. He can play the sweet, supportive father so well, and then instantly switch to the nasty and vindictive The way he pulls down the right side of his mouth really works for him. I'm glad we saw the scene when he was on the phone and time stopped. I noticed it and thought maybe my screen had frozen. I thought he was giving Maury the cocaine he got from Leo. Where did Nightshade Paralytic come into it? Uh break into that to answer that was a uh, yeah Vic was using that in her chimpanzee trials again I don't know how he got a hold of that but that's where that came into the story <laughs> he just got access to anything at Fortunato I'm guessing mm-hmm. but she goes on to say I'm so glad that Lenore finally defied her father and is getting her poor mother out I didn't trust Lenore at the beginning but she's turning or really turning out to be the one good usher 
Yet why does Roderick keep ignoring her calls where, where he, when he is with August? I'm now wondering if the conversations that we've been seeing between the two of them are a hallucination. I began wondering about this when August saw the clock pendulum moving, because I don't think he saw anything up now that Roderick has seen. Roderick tells Augie that he will have him dead to rights on two murders, Annabelle Lee and Griswold. Apparently, it's not Madeline bricked up in the basement. I was surprised by the courtroom scene, when Roderick totally pulled the rug out from under Augie. Did he do that so he would get Griswold's trust and approval, and so advance in the company? I think this may be his first step from being the kind young husband and father to the ruthless usher that we see being played by Bruce Green. And poor Juno. I'm rooting for her to get off Ligodone and get out of that family alive. <laughs> Edit. Sorry, this is so long, but I wanted to add. What the hell, Madeline? It sounds like she and Roderick are supposed to go out together, yet she tries to kill Roderick? Berna is isn't taking that lightly, I don't think, since we see her bring him back. Can't wait to see how it all wraps up. Me yeah, too. Same. <laughs> Thank you, John. Next one is from Maureen Favo. She says, Wow, Madeline and Verna face to face. First run through of The City and the Sea, I was too focused on images replayed to focus on words. Read it two more times to help it steep. Do we really know what Verna is now? I've concluded she is death, and her city is this earth where ushers exist where hell holds it in reverence. Did you know Poe had published poem with previous titles of the doomed city and city of death? No, I did not. Whole episode was great. Definitely required multiple watches to get to depth. Lots of answered, but still few questions left. We still don't know the terms of the deal with death. Madeline trying to rene- renegotiate means she thinks she can salvage what? Lenore? The company? Legacy? Behind the wall? Has to be Rufus, right? Has to be murder Roderick confesses. Only explanation for how Roderick got to power, betraying Depend, opened doors at Fortunato, but something else got him to power. Pim and Verna meeting. We have been teased. Can't wait. How rem- remaining ushers meet their death. What happened to Annabelle Lee? Roderick must have destroyed her because that explains Tammy and Freddie. So many questions about Freddie's crazy. What is with the photos? Did he really call himself Fredzo, Usher, Ascendant? <laughs> he certainly did. The teeth? Establish authority? Whole discussion with Lenore's sweetheart, cringy, also exceptional acting. Can't believe Verna caused him to dose himself with Nightshade Paralytic and Maury witnessed it happening. Karma. I think we need to rank the deaths at the end of the series. Tammy's <laughs> still slightly holding first place for me. Point of view of Freddy's was amazing. Haven't discussed this much, but Flanagan's use of time shifts to tell story is remarkable. When confusing, it is purposeful. He had flashbacks and always had preview of kid's death with Depend discussion before showing us. Wondering about Madeline's timeline in this episode. Did she talk Roderick into taking pills before she met with Verna or after? She doesn't have her bangs hairpiece when talking to Roderick by wall, so is it after? And Madeline's takeaway from Verna meet was to control or spare Roderick's death? How will Roderick die? Another Usher resurrection. So, looking forward to your takes. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. All good thoughts and observations. Mm-hmm. All right. And we got one email from Daphne, always coming through with the emails. Uh, she says, Hi, Remem R-I-H, rest in hell, Frederick Usher. <laughs> he deserves everything that came to him this episode. The pit in the pendulum is perfect for his demise, and how it was creatively added was fantastic. He turned out to be a vile specimen of a man who was irredeemable. 
Seeing Roderick throw away all the work he invested in with Dupin was heartbreaking, especially for Annabelle. It just reinforces that Roddy and Madeline were only really committed to each other, and they just thirsted for power at any price. However, you question the commitment when in the present day, Madeline finally makes the power play to take over the company while Roderick continues to decline. It all makes you wonder just how different things would have been if Roderick had followed through with Dupin's plan. I've come to the decision that Roderick and Madeline deserve everything that Verna has planned for them. I only hope that it doesn't cause harm to Lenore or more devastation for Morella. They have been through enough. One more to go. Can't wait to find out what the deal was or what deal was struck between the Raven and the Ushers and why all of this happened. Yeah. Same. And I want to know, and maybe it's not important, but when Verna talks about what Freddie was going to be, she said Roderick was going to be a poet. A broke poet, but a poet mm-hmm. nonetheless, which makes sense when he spouts, you know, his poetry throughout the series. But she never says what Madeline was going to be. Yeah. Curious. Doesn't speak of Madeline. Doesn't say what Tammy would have been. No. Um, which, I mean, maybe not important. And then it, it made me think. I was like, well, what about them? And then I was like, well, what about the other kids? And I was like, I bet you none of the other kids would even have been born or exist past Tammy in, in that other timeline. Uh, yeah, I don't. A good likelihood that that's the case too. Yeah, I I wonder if that's the case too. But I am curious because she didn't say out loud what, because she's like I I've seen who you were, I see who you are now, and I see what you could have been. But she never mentions it like she did with Roderick or Freddie. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Thank you, Daphne. As always, you have a, um, great observations. We also have a couple of voicemails from Steve. Uh, so he has a voicemail for last week's episode, Goldbug. Um, I'll play that one first. Um, and then he has one for this week's episode as well. And I'll play that one um, right after. Hello, strange indeed. This is Steve, and this is for uh, Goldbug. I don't know how I missed the deadline. I think just with the holiday and everything happening in my life. You know, everything that's going on, I, I just missed it. But uh, I watched the episode, and wow, I wish I had been live steaming because when uh, uh, Roger has that that hallucination and he the body comes through the, and all the glass is, is around him and August doesn't see it, when, I'm sure I jumped, well, I jumped. I jumped when I was watching the episode, so I'm sure I would have jumped on the live Steve as well. But uh, uh, to the moment when Frederick is playing, <laughs> is bowling, and he's got the bumpers up, and he's bowling, and he's an adult man who's bowling on his own bowling alley, and he's got the bumpers up like he's a child, uh, you know. Um, and then the reveal that he's drugging his wife to keep her asleep was just heartbreaking. Um, and oh, just this episode had, had some heart to it, but also uh, was another one where we saw Verna gave her chances, you know, pick up the phone, call Bill, you know, apologize, and and it won't be so bad for you. And then I wonder what happened to Juno. Did she kill Juno when she threw that mic stand at her? We don't we don't see. All we see is it it cuts to um, Tammy coming home. So, wow. Anyway, I'm going to watch the next episode right now and uh, live Steve it. So uh, talk to you later. I didn't notice the bumpers either, but that's an incredible catch. (laughs) Uh, Thank you, Steve, for pointing that out. (laughs) Just really sums up Frederick's character. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. All right. Let's see what he thinks about this episode. 
Hello, Pake and Rima. This is Steve, and this is going to be for the penultimate episode, The Pit and the Pendulum. There's a whole lot of P's right there. Penultimate, Pit and Pendulum. Oh, I think I see where this marriage is going to go down the hill between him and Anna Lee, uh, because uh, he's the pressure of being this kind of inside man is getting to Roderick, young Roderick. And we see how much the wife cares about what's happening to Roderick and that he's going to be taken care of afterwards. She makes young August get his word. Where's Maddie in all this? I only figured that what Roderick did was he ended up not testifying or something like that, taking a payoff, and that left August exposed and why he lost his career, and then he started coming after them so hard for these 40 years. Pit and the Pendulum, I think that was the movie that Lenore was watching with her mom, right? The black and white movie that in the last episode. Okay, so it looks like she just bruised her head, Juno, I mean. Uh, I mean, it looks like a pretty bad bruise, but... Yeah. Oh man, he is just gonna, he's gonna overdose her or give her an air bubble or something. Bring her all these drugs on this syringe. Oh, did he cut her? Oh, wow. This Henry Thomas uh, playing Frederick is just chilling. Chilling. <laughs> okay, Roderick is playing the audience here now because all, all these jumping that we've been doing when uh, his kids confront him. The ghostly delusions. Oh, they're gonna show us the court scene, I guess. They just said the date. So this is before the new year's eve party did we already establish that and he's doing it he's not he's not uh doing what he said he'd do in rehearsal in fact he's even throwing august under the bus completely here oh so now we have verna and madeline together how did she find this house oh this is the house where he's meeting with august and it's all dilapidated it's not i don't understand okay so it was some sort of deal struck on that new year's eve night and maybe we're gonna find it out now okay roger you just listed all the things that's gonna happen to someone when they try to come off drugs to juno yeah she knows okay so he just passed out and he told them five minutes surely they would come in after him right they wouldn't just start destroying the building oh so she's interfering she says she doesn't like to interfere directly but now she is Ooh. Oh, and as the ball swings, just like uh, the pendulum from the pit and the pendulum. Ooh. Oh, oh, I see. It is an actual pendulum that he's got hanging over him. Oh, from the way the rafters fell and everything. Oh, man. This is going to split him in half, just like the, the kid in the vision. Oh, this is going to be gross. I, I was just about to end my recording, but I realized there's like eight minutes left. Okay, wait. Is this really Maddie that's giving him the pills, or is it Verna? Because it looks like it might be... Or did he... What? Yeah, I don't get it. Who's meeting with Dupin if Roderick is dead? And what's still, we don't know what this behind the bricks is, right? I'm so confused. Oh, Verna's bringing him back to life. Hello. Oh, sorry about how long this went, but I guess now we're at the end. All right. Thanks. That was great, Steve. I was like, he'll get there. He'll get there. There it is. <laughs> yep. <laughs> You're almost there. Yep. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. That was great as always. Wow. One more episode. Ooh. One more episode. Stick with us, y'all. And uh, be sure to write in and let us know. Go stay on the journey with us uh, because next week we are covering the finale, episode eight of the fall of the House of Usher, titled The Raven. Because, <laughs> of course, it's going to be titled The Raven. <laughs> yes. I don't know what that means, but just so apropos, um, <laughs> since we're referring all of Poe's work, 
Uh, I'm excited. I can't wait to watch it later tonight. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's, as soon as we're done here, that's running straight to living room, Netflix, hit and play. I need it. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't forget the snacks. Don't forget the snacks. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Ooh, that might be a good idea. I've got like a convenience store right around the corner. Maybe we'll get some ice cream or something. I know it's like 40 degrees outside, but you know what? I can still have ice cream if I want it. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> have ice cream anytime. Yeah. There's no rules. All right. Yeah, I'm excited to get into that. It's going to be great. Of course, hopefully all of you are riding it out the rest of us, and we would love to hear all of your thoughts on that finale as well. So thanks so much, everybody, for the feedback this week. And I hope we get to hear from a lot more of you for the finale. Hopefully there's people who just kind of been holding off. It's the last episode. Give us your thoughts on the whole series, the whole, you know, the episode, whatever you got. Love to hear from you on that one. Finale is usually real fun with feedback. So hope to hear from you. It'll be great. And of course, if you want to do that again on Facebook, email, voicemails, you can find out how to do all that on podcastgood.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out our other shows. So, what's up with Run For Your Lives this week? Any updates or announcements? Yes, we will be back on, I want to say, December 8th. I'm going to make sure. Yes, yes. December 8th, we will be back with the return of the new season. Yeah, We'll be covering some fun stuff, I want to say. Because I think, yeah, I think. I'll go ahead and mention it. Maybe uh, we haven't posted it on our stuff, but Ooh, are we getting a little an sneak peek because I, right I almost dropped it last week and then I stopped myself. <laughs> uh, yeah, a great uh, kind of indie uh, horror comedy ridiculous movie, Tucker and Dale versus Evil, I think is where we're going to start off in this next season. Uh, it's just it's a ridiculous movie. I love it. Hopefully people have seen it. I don't want to give too much away, but it's it's kind of like your classic Cabin in the Woods, uh, like. Um, slasher horror movie except it's not at all there's a huge comedic twist to it it's it's great uh (laughs) awesome well that'll be fun uh for y'all's return after your little break um so while you're there be sure to check out run for your lives with pake and daphne check out the cast of us uh where jason and lucy are doing their walking dead rewatch they uh, just released season one episode five Uh, so that's been super fun to kind of go back and and revisit um the early days of the walking dead um ben and mark our friends are covering monarch legacy of monsters on apple tv uh they just released the third episode um Ben and Kristen are covering the Revisited podcast, covering um, the rewatch of Ted Lasso. Oh, mm. so freaking good. I'm wearing my Ted Lasso shirt hey, right now. Only Rima can see that, uh, but I guess. Oh, yeah, love it. <laughs> Believe. That's right. So, yeah. Um, and then the uh, Buffy rewatch. Um, there's a lot of awesome things happening. Be sure to check out all of our friends. Um, we and they all appreciate it. Make sure go check all those out. And if you find the ones you love, which hopefully is all of us, then make sure to give, <laughs> you know, ratings, reviews, like, follow, subscribe, whatever you do on your podcast player of choice. That helps us out a ton. And we really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you in advance. Mm-hmm. 
All right, that is our show. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time, I'm Rima. And I'm Pete. And Chris LeBeau is strange indeed.